A lot of you know, maybe some of you don't, that uh, prior to uh, being a pastor, uh, I was uh, in sales in a variety of different uh, ways. And I had a sales manager once who kind of drilled this idea into myself and and the rest of our our team, our sales team. Um, I sold telephone systems uh, back in the uh, late 90s, mid 90s. And uh, so he drilled into us this whole idea that a reference cell is the best cell. 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 He kept saying that. He drilled it into us and he kept telling us, go out there and find some, some current customers who will tell the story of what a great experience they've had with our organization. Of course, I'm sitting there in my mind going, I don't know if we have too many of those that have a great experience with our organization, but that's beside the point. I know what you're saying, because in all honesty, the best way, uh, those of you who are in sales and those of you who have your own companies and those of you who have uh, been executives, the best way to communicate experience and to communicate um, that something had a great impact is to tell the story of how that changed your life in one way or another. Am I right? Stories communicate such powerful, powerful principles, don't they? Well, Jesus told stories over and over and over again. All through the New Testament, he tells stories that communicate a spiritual principle. And he would tell stories that were called parables to communicate something that might have been a little complicated, might have been a little confusing for his listeners to understand, his audience to understand during that day and age. And he communicated stories that would help them understand the deep spiritual truth that he was trying to get across. And so today we begin a series, and I'm going to have some help with this series. Uh, It is a series called Words and Pictures, and uh, I'm going to have some help because you're going to hear from Todd Cooper and you're going to hear from Gerald McElroy uh, throughout the next month. But we're going to spend the next four weeks looking at four of the different parables of Jesus. And so today, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 10. If you don't have your Bibles, it's all right. Everything will be on the screens behind me. You can follow along there. But we're going to be in John chapter 10 today. Uh, We'll start out in Matthew 13, but you don't need to turn there. But I want to let you know that Jesus told these stories for a specific purpose. He told them to really help his uh, hearers and help his audience and help his listeners to understand what he was trying to say. And that kind of is summarized in Matthew 13, 34, and 35. And this is kind of our platform verse for this series. It's kind of our springboard. It's where we're going to kind of launch from. And the passage is this, Matthew 13, 34, and 35. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. Jesus essentially used parables absolutely whenever he could to communicate some kind of deep spiritual truth. And in verse 35, it even says that there was another purpose of the parables. It says that uh, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables and I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Listen, I I want you to understand that no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, no matter where you are with God today, um, he does not want spiritual truths to be hidden from you. 
He does not want spiritual truths to be hidden from you. He never did want spiritual truths to be hidden from any of his listeners, from any of his audience, from any of us who read his book to read God's word. He never wanted those things to be hidden. And so we have to face the fact that the Bible is a book that may not make a whole lot of sense to us. But it's not because God didn't want it to. He wanted the the words on this page and the principles that he's talking about jump out. And he often used these wonderful word pictures to communicate that. The word parable there used in Matthew chapter 13 literally means this, an expression not to be understood literally, but symbolically or figuratively. It's basically a metaphor and an analogy, essentially, is what Jesus was doing. And he did it in a variety of different ways. He did it in a variety of different um, uh, formats. Um, We're going to use a a, uh, definition that I think will help kind of frame where we're going to go for these next four weeks, and it's this. A parable is a short story of descriptive words and vivid pictures used to reveal a deep spiritual truth. You see, Jesus was trying to kind of peel back the layers of the onion so that you and I can get to the core and understand exactly what he's talking about and be able to most appropriately apply that to our daily lives. Jesus, um, in this day and age, would have been an application-oriented preacher. He wouldn't have preached just for information and just for knowledge, although he used knowledge and information to go about doing what he was doing, but he led people in his messages to real application. And so today we are going to begin in the book of John. Now, some of you who may be theologians and maybe you've gone to seminary, you're like, wait a minute, John is not listed as a book that has any parables in it. And you would be technically correct, okay? So here's why. In the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in those four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, Jesus tells stories in all four of those books. But in John, the word parable is never used. So some theologians will not categorize John as a book where there are parables. But I happen to believe that they're the same thing when he uses a story to communicate a spiritual truth. And so I'm going to be the guy in this message series that does anything to violate any kind of theology or doctrine, not my buddies Todd and and, uh, uh, Jared, okay? So I'm going to do that. So we're going to start in the book of John with absolutely my favorite parable there. I just called it a parable because it's okay. Uh, I'm going to begin with the good shepherd. And we're going to begin with the shepherd and the sheep pen. That's kind of two different names for the same parable, the shepherd and the sheep pen or the good shepherd. And it's one of my favorite stories that Jesus used to communicate a spiritual truth. And we find it here in John chapter 10. Now, just a little bit of background kind of leading up to this so that you can understand the context of why he gives this story, why he tells this story and kind of how it relates to the audience then, and then we'll take a look at how it relates to us now. This is very interesting. Um, Jesus, during this period of time, was um, beginning to do quite amazing things. Um, One of the amazing things that he was doing was he was calling himself the Son of God, which would have been blasphemous uh, among the Jews during that day and age. It would have been blasphemous, um, blasphemy to to say that you were God. And so um, Jesus was calling himself the son of God, which was, you know, just essentially the same thing. And so there was all this kind of talk 
uh, nationally and around the, the known world of that time that there's this guy whose name is Jesus that is claiming to be the Son of God. And so we see in John chapter 9 that he performs a miracle. He um, heals a man who was deaf from birth, and, and, and he, gives him, he gives him hearing. And so Jesus performs this miracle. And so um, in a lot of ways, that may have added to the mystery of who this Jesus was. And so there's this kind of swirling question in the culture of that day and age, who is this man named Jesus? And we see in John chapter 10, him answer the who I am in such an amazingly creative, beautiful way. He answers the question of who he is through this fantastic story of the good shepherd. And he talks about sheep in a sheep pen. Now, um, and, and he talks about a shepherd and what a shepherd is. Now, um, here's the thing. Like, you and I, like, we don't see a lot of sheep and we don't see a lot of shepherds around here, Right? How many of you seen a shepherd on Hilton Head Island recently? I mean, if you have, please raise your hand because I love to find out where this person is. I'd love to come and talk to him. Like, we don't see a lot of sheep, you know, flocks of sheep and, and shepherds, right? They just don't exist around here. I mean, you might go up into the mountains somewhere and you might see something like that. Uh, you, you might uh, travel, you know, into kind of remote places of of the United States, and you, you might see uh, a flock of sheep, but there's never really a, a shepherd that's with them, or maybe there's you know, not somebody that's with them all the time. It kind of is done a little bit differently here in the United States nowadays. But I visited Romania on a missions trip um, back in 2004, and I got to tell you, man, I saw a bunch of sheep. They were everywhere in Romania, and everywhere they went, there was a shepherd like, I kind of thought that this whole idea of a sheep with a shepherd really wasn't true growing up in, you know, suburban, urban Atlanta. Like, I just didn't really think that it existed. I thought it was just a story. And I think that's what most of us think. But we saw these sheep. They were everywhere. And there were a couple things that kind of struck me about um, these sheep and their shepherd. Um, the first thing is this. It was so funny because here are these sheep, and they were kind of in full what do you call it? Like full, like wool, I guess. Okay. It was like the season where they were full and they were about ready to be sheared and that kind of thing. And, um, that you would see this shepherd and he would walk along and usually there was a dog or maybe two and behind him would be all these sheep just kind of slowly following them. And they all had what I thought was a color spray paint on their wool, like not fully covered. Like you might see people do with a dog at Halloween, but like just one little spot and it was like green right in the middle. So here's this shepherd and I'm in Romania and there's all these sheep with green spots. And I'm like, this is kind of interesting. And so out from another pasture comes another shepherd and his dog and he's got sheep and my goodness, they've got all red dots on them. They've got all red dots on their wool. And then there's another one, and they kind of pass each other, going from pasture to pasture, trying to find pasture where there's good grass for the sheep to feed on. And they all get mingled in. And that shepherd coming from the left side, he had like a yellowish orange on, on all of his sheep. And I'm like, this is crazy. I've never seen such a thing. I've never seen anything like this. I didn't know what it meant. And I realized that there were so many sheep in this area of Romania that we were, that that was how the shepherds were able to distinguish their sheep 
from another shepherd's flock. They had to be marked because there were so many of them. And even though those shepherds may have known their sheep when there's so many of them, it was hard to distinguish. It was really amazing. The other thing that struck me, because we went out into the villages where there were sheep in these pens um, right there where we were eating and, and, and talking to um, the people that we were ministering to, and the other thing that struck me just really, really heavy was how much they smell. I mean, they are stinky creatures. And if you've ever been around them, you know exactly what I mean. Are you, am I right? I mean, they stink. Sheep are stinky creatures. And one of the guys there in one of the villages told us they are so just dumb. They just are so dumb. They just like wander off and, and don't even think about it. And so Jesus is writing this parable or he's, or he's telling this story, excuse me, and it's being recorded by John. Um, he's telling this story about a shepherd and sheep. And wouldn't you know, he's relating the sheep to you and me. Stinky, dumb people, okay? All right, so here we are, all right? That's what Jesus is doing. Thank you, Jesus. But we'll get to what the real, the real impact and the real spiritual thing is in a minute. Take a look at John chapter 10, and we're going to read and just kind of stop and kind of come back to it, and then we'll draw uh, a concluding spiritual truth. Take, take a look at verse 1. He says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Now, let me stop there for a moment. In this day and age, there were two different types of sheep pens um, or, or sheepfolds. Um, there were two different types, and what, what they were was like an enclosure, an open enclosure um, that was open at the top. There wasn't a roof on it, but it was an enclosure uh, this way round. And if it was attached to a building, like maybe it was in a village, um, it would have been built with rocks and stone, and it would have been somewhat permanent. And so it would have had basically like this big fence um, that was in like a, a big like C or, or, or circle kind of shape. And then it led up to a narrow path. And then there would have been at the end of the path, there would have been a gate of some sort or a door. And so that was a sheep pen. And it would have been on the backside attached to uh, maybe an area where they could actually go in and sleep. And that was where they gathered the sheep at night. And so that would have been in a village or town or a city. And at night, what would happen is all these flocks with all these different shepherds would come to a sheepfold and they would kind of load their sheep into this open area and they would rest there at night. And that's where the sheep slept. Try to say that five times fast. Uh, so anyway, the sheep, um, the sheep would come in there into this kind of open enclosure, and, and that was built out of rocks and, and thatch and that kind of thing. Now, if there was a nomadic shepherd that like just traveled all the time, he would often build it out in the wilderness with like brush and thorny, thistly brush. And what that would do is the rocks and the, and the thorns would keep predators away. And, and so he would build this in a way that would protect the sheep from harm. And so these sheep would be able to come in and they would be able at night to sleep and not be harmed. Now, um, in really like um, well-run sheep pens, there was a night watchman um, who would guard the gate and they would literally sleep in front of the gate or stand in front of the gate. And they would stand there and they would protect that gate. The only person that could go in and out of the gate was a shepherd. If you were out in the wilderness, it was just you, you were one shepherd with one flock or maybe just one or two traveling, the shepherd would sleep in front of that gate and they would guard it throughout the night. And the only thing 
that could go in, the only person that could go in and out of the gate is the shepherd. And so that's what he's talking about when he's talking about a sheepfold. And so he talks about that. Uh, he, he basically talks about the watchman, and he gives uh, the readers in that day the understanding that he's talking about a sheep shepherd and a uh, sheepfold. Verse 2, he says this, But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper, that's the watchman, he opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep. Say those next two words with me. By name. And he leads them out. To the gate, to him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. Take a look at verse 4. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep, what do they do? Follow him. Follow him, for they know his voice. Verse 5, a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the stranger, of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they didn't understand what he was saying. I love that part. <laughs> and they didn't, under, they didn't understand because they didn't understand the story. They would have understood the story. They didn't understand, what is he talking about? We know about these sheep and the sheep, and what in the world is he talking about? And so he goes on to explain it. We're going to get to that in a second. I, I want to drill down here on a few of these verses. This is really amazing. It says that in verse 2, he who enters by the door is the shepherd. Excuse me, verse 3, the gatekeeper opens the door to the shepherd, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls to his own sheep by name and lets them out. Listen, these shepherds, especially in this day and age, knew the names of each and every sheep. Margaret Feinberg has a fantastic book called Scouting the Divine. Uh, some of you ladies have been in my, Margaret Feinberg uh, studies. She's a, an amazing teacher, isn't she? She's an incredible author, an amazing teacher. In her book, Scouting the Divine, she talks about how she found God through meeting a modern-day shepherd, actually a shepherdess up in Oregon. And she went, she visited and found out that even in this day and age, shepherds still know the name of every sheep. They know the name of every single sheep in the flock, regardless of how many sheep are in that flock. And the shepherd calls out to the sheep, by name. I want you to think, don't miss this. Um, think about what it means when someone calls you by your first name. Think about that for a moment. That's a powerful thing, isn't it? Like, I, I, I really feel like I fail you as a pastor when I can't remember all your names. I really do. Because I love it when people say my name, my first name. I mean, I like Pastor Todd, and that's fine, like putting the pastor in front of it. You can do that or not. I really don't care. I really don't. And I know that some of you do that out of reverence and whatever, but that's fine. It's like my doctor. I called him the other day, and he said, Todd, you don't have to call me doctor. We know each other. Our kids play soccer together. And so I kind of like uncomfortably called him by his first name for the first time. He's like, I think he's younger than I am. So, you know, I guess that's okay. <laughs> But it's meaningful when someone says your first name, isn't it? It's meaningful. It's intimate. It, it means something. The shepherd knows each and every 
sheep. He knows them by name. But that's not the only thing that happens. The sheep know his voice. Isn't that awesome? The sheep, please don't miss this, they know their shepherd's voice. Now picture this. One night, all these sheep come into this pen. The shepherds probably go sleep. There's a watchman keeping over watch over the sheep during, during the night. And all these sheep from all these different flocks with all these different shepherds are in this pen. And the first shepherd shows up to retrieve his sheep. <laughs> Don't you love that? To retrieve your sheep. Come retrieve your sheep. That's what we should say about our kids' ministry. Come retrieve your child at the end of church. He shows up and he calls them by name. And just his sheep come running. Don't miss that. Just his sheep come running because they know his name. You see, that's a wonderful picture of the way that Jesus, of the way that God interacts with us. His part is, is that he knows our name. Man, that's an incredibly powerful thing to understand, especially when you and I are going through times of crisis in our lives, especially when we go through things like what Joy went through several years ago. And Joy, thank you so much for sharing your story. What an incredibly powerful thing in the midst of your darkest day to realize that God knows your name. But that's his part. The responsibility of the sheep is to know the shepherd's voice. And as soon as he speaks, they run after him. They go after him. I love it. I think it's fascinating the way that Jesus put this and wove this story together of, of the voice and, and the name. The, the discipline that the sheep have without even understanding or knowing it is as they spend time with the shepherd, they learn his voice. They learn the inflection, the up and down, the cadence, the instruction, the command. And all of a sudden, when it's time to follow, they follow. I love this part down here. It says this in verse 5. When he has brought all of them out to his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. But a stranger they will not follow, and they will flee from the stranger. You see, it's follow or flee. And I believe that the point that Jesus is trying to make, that he kind of defines here in a moment, we're going to blitz through the last part of this in a moment, but what he's trying to define for you and for me is, is that if he's the shepherd, and if we are the sheep, our job is to know the voice of of Jesus, so that when it's time to follow, we follow. The word that's used there for follow is a slightly different word, but it's the same root word in the original language that Jesus used when he said, drop your nets, disciples, and come follow me. It's a very similar root word in the original language. You see, we can hear the voice of Jesus we can know the voice of Jesus, but here's what happens. Don't miss this. There are so many other voices when it comes to salvation, when it comes to security, when it comes to safety, when it comes to seeing us through the darkest day. We 
know Jesus' voice, but we choose to follow something else. It could be another religion. It could be just, I'm going to have a little bit of this and a little bit of that. You know, I'll take a little new age and Hindi and, you know, I, I can understand some of the things from um, like the Muslim faith. Or maybe there's something new out there, some kind of new philosophy that you're following. And you're like, I've got Jesus, but I'm also going to take this and bring it in. No, no, no. That's not what Jesus says here. He says the sheep follow his voice. See, you and I, we're either following Jesus or we're following something else. There's no commingling those two things. There's no mixing those two things. And as much as you and I may kind of like bristle at that and we may think, oh, that just sounds so intolerant in our day and age of open acceptance and, and, and um, you know, polytheism and uh, following different plans, Jesus says, no, I am the good shepherd. And so part of following Jesus means following him only. It's following his voice alone. See, some of those other things, maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a lifestyle that, like, gives you comfort. Maybe it's some kind of sin that you've been involved in that gives you comfort. And you're like, I'm going to follow Jesus because I want to trust him for salvation. But, you know, I want a little bit, just a little bit of this over here to throw into the mix just in case. The sheep follow the shepherd's voice. They follow the shepherd's voice. And when they hear another voice, they flee. It's either follow or flee. And the problem is, is that when you and I, when we hear the voices, all those other voices, we have a tendency to just kind of follow, maybe wander, the word follow, by the way, means to go after. That's what it means, literally. I love that, don't you? Like they hear the shepherd and they go after him. That word flee means to literally run away or disappear, like where the sheep go. They hear the stranger and they hide, man. They're out of there. That's what we need to do. We need to hide in the shelter and the shadow of Jesus when we hear other voices calling us, when we hear other plans for salvation, or when we hear other plans for security or safety, when we hear other philosophies, when we hear other lifestyles, he is calling us to follow him, the good shepherd. Let's keep reading and finish up here this morning. He goes on and he kind of, he kind of like drills down a little bit in verse 7, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door of the sheep. He offers protection. Verse 8, he says this, all who come before me, they're thieves and they're robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and they'll find pasture. That's what the sheep needed to allow their lives to continue for sustenance. They needed the pasture. He said, I will help them find pasture. Verse 10, the thief comes only to steal, 
kill, and destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And then he says this. So he's the door. Secondly, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, he doesn't know, he doesn't own the sheep and see wolves coming. And if he does, he leaves them. And the sheep, and they flee, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand, and he cares nothing for the sheep. And so Jesus is not only the door to provide safety, but he's the shepherd owner. He's the one that owns the sheep, and he cares. And then verse 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. Once again, I know my, my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. Now, I realize this is hard for us in our, in our culture. We, in our culture, reject intolerance. We reject one way for salvation. But I want you to hear today that Jesus is that only way. He's that only way. And I got to tell you, I'm actually glad that he's the only way. Because if there were multiple ways, I don't know that that could ever provide salvation. It couldn't provide salvation. There had to be one way for salvation. If you have multiple ways for salvation, it waters down the sacrifice that Jesus made. And he talks about sacrifice in this when he's talking about the fact that he is the good shepherd. Those three things, just real briefly here. First and foremost, Jesus is the shepherd protector, providing strength against spiritual harm. When you're going through a crisis, when you're going through a time that's fearful, and Cynthia mentioned it, we are living in a fearful time, aren't we? With what happened in Oregon this week, we live in a time that's fearful. Let's face it. But Jesus is the shepherd protector, providing spiritual strength. He will give us the strength to push through. Jesus is secondly the shepherd owner providing sacrificial salvation. Someone who's not the owner will not lay down his life for the sheep. But Jesus did lay down his life for you and for me. He sacrificed himself so you and I can have salvation. So you and I can have the hope of heaven one day when we die. And lastly, Jesus is the shepherd herdsman. He's not just a shepherd, but he oversees it all which means he owns it. And those who are in charge own it, and they know it, and they understand it, and they're in it, they're passionate about it. Jesus is not just a shepherd, but he is the shepherd that owns you. He is the good shepherd. And you and I can walk in that. Here's the deep spiritual truth that I believe that Jesus is trying to convey. It's this. Jesus is the only shepherd who provides absolute security. He's the only shepherd that provides absolute security. He provides eternal life if we put our faith in him. And he provides spiritual security for those of us who are Christ followers. Here's my question to you today. No matter where you are in your faith walk, no matter how you arrived or got here this morning, Here's my question to you, because it doesn't matter where you are in your faith walk. My question is this. Jesus knows your name. He knows your name. Do you know his voice? Do you know his voice? 
you and I, if we're Christ followers, if we want to grow in our faith, if we want to learn more about this book, we've got to spend time with him. We've got to talk to him. We've got to enjoy his company. And so I want to end with one more question this morning. How satisfied are you in your relationship with Jesus right now? How satisfied are you in the time that you spend with him? How satisfied are you with how much and how deep the conversation is with him? And if you're here today and you kind of answer those questions, oh yeah, I'm pretty satisfied. My guess is, is that you probably need more. Because what I found out is when I'm really seeking him out, when I'm really like striving after him, I can't get enough of him. I can't get enough of him. Jesus wants you to rely on him alone. Nothing else. He is the good shepherd, and we can rely on him. Would you join me in a word of prayer? God, thank you so much for this day. God, I thank you so much for the story of the good shepherd. And God, I thank you that you are the one that leads us to safety. God, you are the one that leads us to a place of security. And God, I thank you so much that you're the one that provided salvation through your sacrifice on the cross. And God, I want to pray for those who are here today who are already Christ followers. God, I pray that you would challenge them today. God, that you would invite them to spend more time with you. God, I pray that you would put a passion, a burning desire in our hearts to spend more time with you, the good shepherd. God, let it be an unquenchable thirst. Let us just strive after you with a passion um, that just won't die. God, I pray for more of you in our lives, and I pray that we would seek you more and more, and that we would reach out to you as our first answer, not our last. And God, that we would stop mixing in other religions and other philosophies and other lifestyles because you're a good father, you're a good shepherd, you're the one that provided salvation, and you're the one who can give us eternal life. God, help us in our faith walk. And I pray for those who are here today who may have never put their trust in you, God. I pray that they would draw near to you because you're calling them out by name. God, may we listen to your voice. May we hear your voice. And may we follow you. In Jesus' name I pray.